Welcome to Two SoCal Gals. I'm Alicia. What are you thankful for this year, Josie? I'm Josie, and I'm thankful for soccer. Thankful for soccer. Amen. Okay, well, speaking of soccer, this is Two SoCal Gals, the podcast where we talk anything and everything soccer. We begin this week with the biggest story in MLS right now, David Beckham leaving the league for some new adventure. Uh, We'll start with the non-biased one on our panel. What legacy does Beckham leave behind? Uh, First, I would say... I'm not sure if I qualify as unbiased either, but, um, you know, I'll go with it. Uh, I'd say that he raised the profile of MLS, especially in Europe. Um, You know, as much as those of us who follow MLS want to sort of beg off this idea that uh, the league needs to gain credibility in Europe and has to do everything exactly like the EPL and that sort of thing, I do think he did a good job of of raising the profile and and really getting people, especially in in England, to talk about the league and to pay attention to it from time to time at least. Um, I also think to some extent he raised the profile of soccer in North America. I mean, I think he is a big enough brand that um, people who follow celebrity gossip and, um, I guess, pretty faces, that sort of thing, um, you know, they also know who he is and that I think a lot of people we're familiar with what team he played for, so that certainly helped uh, the profile of the Galaxy. And then, you know, I think he did play very well at times. Um, obviously, his tenure is a little bit uh, checkered, let's say, but I think in particular in 2011, you know, it can't be denied that, that he had a terrific year. And, um, you know, I think him winning at, at least one title uh, while with MLS was really good for him and good for the league and sort of helped legitimize that this was not just a getting a big name, but getting a, a, a player who was very good um, and contributed to a title winner. Um, and then finally, I'd say that he also showed if you were a big enough star, you could play by, the, by a different set of rules in this league. So that'll be good for the next big star who wants to do things his own way. What do you think, Josie? Uh, well, Thierry Henry has already followed the example, but... Uh... I think you're right about the type of profile that he raised. Um, He was the one person on the Galaxy that all my non-soccer friends knew. He was on the Ellen Show a lot. Uh, So he had that celebrity that MLS didn't have before. Um, I keep making direct comparisons to Wayne Gretzky, but it seems like it's totally history repeating itself. You got this guy from a different country coming into L.A. uh, at a time when the L.A. team was already considering uh, some sort of rebranding. And then they do this rebranding around this player. And then you have this massive expansion. And you have the L.A. team and player leading merchandise sales. Um, But at least in the case of the Kings, they never won a Stanley Cup with Wayne Gretzky. And at least the Galaxy did get a... Uh, MLS Cup out of David Beckham, um, but the impact of the player had more to do with a cult of celebrity around them and less to do with being necessarily the best player um, on the team at that time. Not to take away anything from Beckham, he's an amazing player, um, but he's 
right now the third best DP on the galaxy, and you only get three. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is important to sort of think about the the idea that you know a celebrity was was useful, and um, and that he came over when he was getting up there in years, but not. Uh, you know, he wasn't like 40. I mean, he, he came at a decent enough level, and I think it also helped his, that his position was one in which, you know, he wasn't relying on speed or something like that, um, you know, that he was still able to, to play at a pretty high level um, in MLS. Uh, but with all the Beckham hoopla, and there's been quite a bit, um, you'll be forgiven if you've already forgotten that the, about the two conference semifinals. Um, the final matchup has a four and a five seed in the MLS Cup. And uh, how are you feeling about the changes that MLS has made to the playoff format for this year? So this is another one where I'm going to get accused of all sorts of biases, and I already have over on Twitter. But I don't know what else MLS could do to prevent this from happening. Like, after Colorado won the MLS Cup, it's been sort of this panic amongst MLS fans that, oh, the playoffs completely devalue uh, what happens in the regular season. Uh, so you have MLS with this play-in game and uh, these two-legged um, for both the semifinals and the conference finals. And so, you know, Seattle had every chance to get back in things and go on to MLS Cup, and they almost did. You know, it took a somewhat controversial penalty for the Galaxy to hold off Seattle, and that's why teams want to have that second leg at home. I do not buy this idea that, oh, well, because it, this year the Galaxy in Houston scored three goals, so automatically that means that it's always better to start uh, the series out at home. Uh, but so I just I I don't think it's a problem of the format. It's just a great deal of coincidence that this is how things worked out this year. And don't discount the fact that the Galaxy were the best team in the second half of uh, the MLS season. You know, and hot teams tend to do well in the playoffs. That's just the way things are. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but. I'm totally on board with the playoffs. You know, I love the playoffs. I have no problem with them. You know, to some extent, I mean, I understand that there's differences of opinion, but I do, I did get the sense that to some extent there was some sour grapes on the part of DC, not, not DC fans as much, but more Seattle fans um, after these series because their team was, you know, their team lost. And so it was kind of like, well, we really should just go by the supporter shield. And you always hear that from the team's, some of the team's fans that, that lose, um, at, you know, when they get knocked out. But, yeah, I mean, the only thing that I think was a good change this year that I, partic in particular, I want to highlight that I think was really good was, I think the fact that they stuck to the regional discipline and sort of, if you're in the Eastern Conference, you're going to be in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference and likewise for the Western Conference, no no crossovers uh, anymore. I, I like that. Um you know, I think it, it keeps it a little more honest as far as the playoff push late in the season. Um, so that was something I was pretty happy about, and I think it, it worked out well. And, I mean, it seems like it uh, Houston's going to end up moving back to the West probably 
in the future, but for now they're an Eastern Conference team and, and the Galaxy are a Western Conference team and they're in their proper conferences for the for the final. Yeah. Um I, I do think that's been undernoticed, uh and it is a good change. Uh, we had a, a couple cases in the past, well Colorado being on where they came out of the east and they're up against the Rocky Mountains, so that's kinda strange. Um, but they have an Eastern Conference trophy in their closet. So, anyway. Yeah, so there's the Red Bulls from the Western Conference, which is what people love laughing at them about. Yeah, well, it's a weird world. But elsewhere on that world, uh, where yesterday was just a regular Thursday, many coaches have been losing their jobs. Uh, Di Matteo is out at Chelsea, Hughes is out at QPR, and Manezes is out at Brazil. Which of these is the biggest injustice, and why the sudden wave of firings? Uh, I mean, it's got to be Di Matteo, right? Like, he won the, the Champions League, first time ever with Chelsea, uh, won the FA Cup in the spring, and he's out by November. I mean... To me, it's like, give me a break. They're, Chelsea's very much in the hunt in the league. They're in third place, uh, only four points out right now. And none of the teams really looks invincible at this point in, in the Premier League. Um, you know, and, and they, struggled, they struggled, obviously, this year in the Champions League, but they finally got over that hump. And, you know, it's like Robin Abramovich just wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's just a, a, absolutely crazy and... Um, you know, now Rafa Benitez is coming in and I mean, he has a track record at Liverpool. Obviously he won the Champions League at Liverpool, but he could not win the league. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This, I, if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm feeling pretty, pretty worried about sort of the stability of the, of the club, because if, if players see how often, you know, the managers change, even when they're unbelievably successful, what does that mean about their, their place in the lineup if, if they're going to have a new manager every three or four months? Yeah, I think Di Matteo's problem was that he was always the inter- interim manager, and then he just happened to win a bunch of things, and Chelsea kind of went, uh, what do we do? Um, they, you know, they couldn't fire this guy who had just won them two trophies, but he wasn't their long-term guy. So they were just waiting for that moment when they would have an excuse to get rid of him and, you know, not getting what they wanted at the Champions League ended up being the excuse. Um, But I did want to talk just a bit about Mark Hughes. Um, He he didn't do anything great at QPR. It's no great injustice that he's gone. But he just has an interesting... Yeah, interesting trajectory. You know, he was made manager of Man City in 08, had one year there, was sacked, and then replaced by uh, Roberto Mancini, who did a lot of really great things at City. And then he goes on to Fulham, resigns from Fulham, and then gets on at QPR, and now it looks like he's going to be replaced by Harry Redknapp. You know, it just... He's been really involved in teams that are trying to make those steps going forward and just hasn't been the guy, but he's always been the guy before the guy, if that makes any sense. Um, so just 
interesting managerial career, and I think uh, Red Knapp will probably do well at QPR, the same way he did well at Tottenham and really didn't deserve to be fired from that job. Yeah, that's a good point. That sort of reminds me of the NBA coaches who sort of spend two years kind of whipping the team into shape but can't really get them over the hump, and so they, you know, they, they get the the team into the playoffs and then they get fired because the coaches or the players start to hate their guts. Um, yeah, so maybe Mark Hughes is the equivalent of that. I don't know, but uh, it sounds like Redknapp's got a lot of work to do if he's going to be taking over. But he did something similar with Tottenham, so I mean, certainly that's that's certainly uh, a possibility. And I would say, lastly, for Mano Menezes, I mean, he only coached Brazil in one tournament. He's, I mean, he only had a handful of competitive games uh you know with with the brazilian national team talk about failing to give a guy a chance i mean that's that's also a pretty crazy story but obviously the stakes are really high for brazil but um let's turn to club uh club football again uh we have a winner in the uh group of death in the champions league in europe uh Borussia dortmund emerged victorious over real madrid and manchester city and ix um so are you surprised, and do you think Manchester City still have a shot at a Europa League spot? I'm not surprised, just because I feel like Dortmund has just played excellent, and everyone's been able to see their level of play, and it's n- no huge um, upset, I guess. I mean, Real Madrid not winning that group is obviously somewhat surprising, but it's not like Dortmund didn't show us anything uh, on the run-up. Um, and I don't... Uh, it's hard to say with City. I think they obviously are mathematically in it uh, to move on into Europa League. But they've just looked so bad <laughs> throughout this entire uh tournament and I don't think they're going to get any points uh, at Dortmund uh, in the final match uh, which you know more power to Dortmund they've played a real good tournament yeah I mean I think Dortmund's look great they've you know they've obviously raised their game they lose key players and pick up new key players and they've been great I am wondering though I mean you know I'm certainly not in the uh tradition of, of firing managers quickly, even though we just talked about that, but it really does seem like Mancini, the time might be running out for him. I mean, do you think that there's a chance he's going to lose his job over this uh, Champions League um, campaign? You know, the fact that he hasn't been able to, to really progress the team in Europe, or do you think that, um, you know, the, the Man City's owners are not going to go the way of, of uh, Chelsea's owners? In the current climate, it you can't say his job is secure. Like th- we're currently seeing all these coaches getting fired, and yeah, he should be on the hot seat, uh, given the way things have gone in Europe. Um, but I think, and we didn't talk about this, but last question. But with the timing, uh, these co- new coaches are coming in with enough time to do some scouting before the next transfer period. So I think if we don't hear anything with respect to Mancini like right away, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, 
I think it's it's kind of a 50-50, it seems like, at this point, because, I mean, he, if I recall correctly, he was dropped at Inner uh, in sort of a similar fashion because, you know, the Champions League, he wasn't able to progress, and this is sort of the mantle that's now hung around his neck. Um, I don't know if it's altogether deserved um, because it seems like, you know, it's the players ultimately who have to truly be up for it, but, uh, but it's interesting to sort of see how, you know, what the fallout might be of this campaign. And we talked about the fact that, you know, with Man City, I mean, they, they had a somewhat unfortunate draw. And I know that you have to play the teams in front of you, but, you know, they can't be altogether faulted for the just insane caliber of teams that they had to play in the, in the Champions League this year. Yeah, well, it's a weird reality that you have to win in Europe to win in Europe. Um, it seems redundant, but it's just the way that things work with the, the seeding. Uh, but we're going to have to move on to Mexico, and the final four in Liga MX features two recently promoted teams, Leon and Tijuana. Uh, is this a new era in Mexican soccer, or is this two teams taking advantage of a down year? Uh, to me, it seems like it's a new era. I think that We've noticed in the last couple of years that the center of power, as far as the, the most successful teams, has moved north, which is a new um, development. I mean, obviously, the, the long-term uh, powers in, in Mexican soccer have been in Mexico City and Guadalajara. So having um, teams that were successful in Monterrey and Torreón, um, you know, it has been a difference in, in recent years. And I think that the emergence of Leon and Tijuana indicate that the sort of power uh, centers of power are, you know, further disintegrating, I, I suppose. And that's not to say that, that Guadalajara and, and Mexico City can't sort of overtake that in the future. They certainly can. Um, but I think the fact that uh, sort of big clubs are struggling, um, you know, Chivas, uh, Pumas didn't make the playoffs this season. Cruz Azul, they've they made the playoffs, but they haven't been a, a, a great team in recent years. America is still in it, but they have uh, some work to do if they want to make the final. You know, those are traditionally the big clubs that, you know, typically win titles time after time, and, and they haven't been. Um, and the fact that, you know, the two most recently promoted teams are in the semifinals, um, and one of them is guaranteed to be in the final is a somewhat remarkable accomplishment, but I also think that it's, you know, they're, they seem to be pretty well-run teams, and that's, that's a good sign for, um, for them and for the future of, of, a, of a healthy uh, Mexican first division. Uh, is there anything to be made uh, of these northern clubs starting to move up uh, and not so much the, the balance of power being around Mexico City um, in Guadalajara, uh, is there anything to be made as far as just in money income coming in? Does that have anything to do with uh, support from just that the borderlands of the two, you know, of America and Mexico, uh, or is it just kind of coincidence? I think it's a lot of factors, but I think there's something to be said for that. And I think that it, to me, it seems like Tijuana has done a good job of looking at the mistakes that were made by. Um, Oh, I'm blanking now. Indios of uh, Ciudad Juarez, um, who came up a few years earlier, and their club ended up disbanding because their owner ran out of money, and 
um, you know, there's some pretty good implications that the uh, team was largely funded by drug money, although it was laundered several times over. Um, you know, there are rumors, obviously, that there's drug money in, in some of the current teams, you know, around the country, but there's nothing substantial that we can really tie it to. But I do think that Tijuana sort of saw what was happening with, with Indios and tried to go in a different direction. Um, and they've been very explicit. I mean, if you, if you, you know, spend any time in San Diego, you'll see the uh, Cholos, you know, stickers all over cars, especially um, close to the border. Um, you know, they've really made a, a point of, of trying to reach out to American audiences as much as they can. And they've been very successful so far. And they may be even moving in a direction that no team in Mexico has done pre previously. And, and that might really be something that, you know, other teams are going to have to look to in the future. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to play some good cop, bad cop. So stick around. Okay, so today we're going to play one of my favorite games, Good Cop, Bad Cop. Uh, SB Nation has released their end-of-season MLS awards, and as we're both SB Nation writers, um, we're going to be debating the merits of some of these winners, because not a one of them is above the law. That's right. <laughs> First up, Victor Bernardez. For newcomer of the year, a defender, please. Why does it have to be something? You know, I know defenders play important roles and stuff, but you know, a newcomer has to be somebody flashy, somebody that that really catches the eye, somebody who's helping in the scoring and um, you know doing some really pretty tricks with the ball and that sort of thing. And I have the perfect candidate who should the one. Federico Higuain. No, he didn't play for very long, but he completely transformed the Columbus crew. He's got the pedigree. You know, he's going to a club that has experience with a flashy Argentinian pulling the strings. He should have been the one, in my view. Bernardes, hey, you had a great season, but I'd put you in some other categories, man. Don't be too harsh on the defenders. I mean, defenders are the core of any club. And Ten Jose should be lauded for bringing in a defender of this caliber. Um, you know, we're not supposed to be looking at playoff performance, but when he wasn't available in the playoffs, Ten Jose's defense fell apart. You know, he was a key member of that back line of a team that not only was able to score goals at a historic clip, but had a goal differential that would have stood up against uh, just about any team in MLS. Um, his contributions cannot be overlooked for San Jose getting over that hump and becoming to Portis Shields winners with a goal scorer like Chris Wondolowski. I don't know. Maybe it's that haircut that really uh, <laughs> really gets me ticked off. I don't know what these kids are doing these days. But uh, let's move on to the next one. Uh, he thinks he's good enough to be Defender of the Year, and that's Sporting Kansas City's Matt Beasler. What do you think? You know... 
these defenders, and I love them, I love them dearly, but oftentimes you are building your reputation off of everyone else around you, and Matt Beasler is surrounded by Jimmy Nielsen, who is up for goalkeeper of the year, and he's also surrounded by another Defender of the Year finalist in Arlene Colleen. God, I probably butchered that. <laughs> but, <laughs> mispronunciation is my thing. So, you can't say that Bessler was out and about the best Defender of the Year when he might not even be the best Defender on his team. Oh, I don't know. If, it was, if I was starting a team and I was going to... You know, if I had to pick a somebody from Kansas City to build my defense around, it would unquestionably be Beasler over Cullen. Um, you know, Beasler, he's steady, he's quiet, he doesn't do the things to make uh, highlight reels. You know, Cullen is the one who pops his collar and and uh, <clears throat> you know has the outsized personality. Beasler puts his head down and just gets the job done. I really appreciate that. Um, he also has a good. Uh, he makes good contributions at times on on the offensive end. Uh, his, his, he has long throw-ins that you know rival the best of them, and he certainly is the best in the league at that. And he he has assisted on on goals from long throw-ins before. Um, you know, so that's something that he's developed in his game that's that's very useful. And um, you know, I, I don't know why you have to fault the guy for playing around some other good players. I mean, typically it's the other way around, where a good player who's playing on a bad team you know, doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think Beasler definitely gets the credit, should get the credit for, for having a great season. All right. All right. But we've got one more guy to get through, and I can tell you he thinks he's all that and a bag of chips. Chris Wondolowski for MLS MVP. Man, I have Wando overload at this point. I know I've been saying that he's MVP, but the the worm's starting to turn for me. You know, after I heard uh, a couple weeks ago on the show that uh, Thierry Henry had better numbers uh, by far, and there were actually a lot of guys who had better numbers in some ways than, than Wando and his match impact. Um, the fact, I mean, again, if we're saying that Beasler should be discounted for playing around a bunch of good players, I mean, San Jose had a bunch of good players last year, too. Two other forwards who, put, who scored in double figures. Why not Wando? I mean, why why is Wando being held above all them? I know he scored lots of goals, but I don't know. It's not like that's that's pretty much all he does in his game, right? Like he doesn't do anything else, you know. You know, I hear there's someone out there. Her name might be Josie, and she's using things like numbers to try and discredit just how good of a season Chris Wondolowski has had. And I think it's shocking that we have to resort to all this funny math to try and make uh, Chris Wondolowski look a lot uh, worse than he is. He is uh, the deserving MLS MVP on the basis that he did something that no one else has has managed to do with his goal scoring in a, in a very long time and only has happened one other time in MLS. You can't discredit 
just how great of a season that is. And honestly, all these other candidates for for the for the award are just, you know, reaching at straws trying to knock down someone who is the obvious winner. Well, we'll see how he does in in 2013. I hear he's looking for for a seven-figure deal. We'll see if his team's willing to pony up for for maybe the MVP. I don't know. Wow, where is he going to get seven figures from? Um, <laughs> so that's it from us on a shortened holiday show. We know you all have leftovers to eat and shopping to get done, so we didn't want to hold you for too long. Um, we'll have a full MLS Cup preview show next week, but as always, we'll be sure to cover all of the breaking news in the soccer world. Uh, you can always find me at Rockin' Josie on Twitter. And Alicia, where can we find you? Uh, I'm at, at Soccer Musings on Twitter. All right, well, for now, good night, everybody. Bye. Happy holidays.